Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Evan Marcus, assistant strength coach for the Cleveland Browns, hosted by Justin Schwinn. What I want to say is tell you guys a little bit about Coach um, Evan Marcus. Um, he's been in the collegiate and professional setting uh, for uh, a good while and, and, and been very successful. This is um, 30 years right now. Cool. 30 zero. Um, and that understanding uh, has been in the NFL, uh, been in uh, uh, FBS-level college uh, football. Um, he's been at University of Virginia, uh, University of Texas, uh, been at, University of, uh, been at uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, New Orleans Saints, um, uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns, and um, <laughs> several others. He's been a lot. Uh, more than you can both hands. We can talk about that too, fellas. <laughs> uh, but he's mentored uh, a lot of young coaches that are successful in this field. Um, and uh, I, I had the opportunity to run into him at the Senior Bowl uh, nine years ago and spent a whole week with him. And it was very fruitful for me as a relationship that I, I definitely uh, cultivated over the years and stayed in contact with him as he progressed. Uh, other than that, uh, with further ado, kind of what I want to do is let every coach kind of ask you some questions um, and let you have as much time as you need, coach. And then we want to kind of try to cap this thing right about the hour uh, so we don't go, go a little overboard. Um, no, we want to honor great. your time, and uh, we want it to be fruitful for both of us. So I'll open it up and let Willie kind of start off, coach, and then kind of go from there. All right. Um, before before I ask my question, coach, uh, thanks again for taking the time. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I think we briefly met uh, a couple years ago at Summer Strong. Oh. Um, and I was – and I was. Uh, it's kind of leading into my uh, first question um, slash assumption – and we were there and we were doing stones. Um, and I, I fair to say that you might have been impressed with my strength. I, I, I remember it. That was the first time I ever used stones in my life. So I'm good. Yeah. That's the only question I had. Um, that's it for me um, from a standpoint. Um, uh, just kidding. Um, but with the question I, I do have that we've been kind of spitballing with a lot of the other coaches um, and that we really are trying to get to the bottom of is I know what, if you could kind of explain the, um, how you how you go about kind of talking and communicating with the different um, the guys now, but kind of, you know, what you've had to change since you left like Virginia, um, because a little bit of background, kind of like Coach Lynn was talking about. Um, it's a lot like your guys' off-season, what our day-to-day is. Everything is 100% optional, so nobody has to be in there. Um, and so it's kind of divided where we're about as close on the tactical side as you're going to get, the schoolhouses are, to what the collegiate setting looks like or even kind of what the a lot of the NFL models look like, where it's a group setting. Um, you know, we run groups from five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, but sprinkled in there where we're a little bit different is – one of the ways is we have individuals that come in at the exact same time. So half our staff is divided between the groups while half deals with the individuals. Um, and then when we talk about our student population, I know it's individuals, you mean, are those are the guys that are not following the plan or have their own plan. So they might have their own plan still with a coach, but they're not considered a group. So we divide it between student status and our student status runs anywhere from 20 to 50 years old. 
and then our individual status runs could be the exact same um, like age groups, but they might be on in, in like a support detachment or an assignment. Um, they might be coming in. A lot of people call it like SWIC time where they have to come back to the schoolhouse where they either have to teach, um, do something like that, or they might be just kind of older guys on their way out. Like this is the last job they have before retirement. So when we open the doors at five o'clock, we're opening the doors for everybody that comes in and we run from about five in the morning to about two in the afternoon. But I just kind of want to give you a little bit of uh, context into kind of how our setup went. Um, okay. So if you, if you wouldn't mind kind of speaking on, you know, the different, the things that have worked, haven't worked as far as transitioning on your, your coaching and creating the buy-in for a lot of the guys at the different levels. Well, I think, as far as buy-in goes, I think it's easy because the guys definitely see the correlation between their physical preparation and their ability to make money. I mean, so for me, it's a different motivation. Obviously, everything comes down to money at the end of the day for the pro athletes. So getting them to to see how their body is their means of making money. And if I can help prolong that, they can make this money for a longer period of time. It's going to help them you're always there to help your clients no matter what, what level they're at. And if your knowledge can help them do what they do better, if your knowledge could help them um, overcome problems that they've had or, or, or even just psychologically have them get stronger mentally, anything that you can do to help them, that's, that's valuable. That's why we do what we do. So for me at my level, it's convincing guys, you know, everybody thinks that these guys just love to train. It's, it's probably the opposite. You know, most of these guys are good at what they do because they're God-given talent and they don't really see the value of working hard. Why should I push myself that hard? I've already made it to this level. What are you going to tell me that's going to make me get any more success? But I think if you kind of appeal to them and, and just be really upfront and honest, this is how I think this could help. This is why this is beneficial and have a true belief in what you're doing and what you're selling. I think it goes a long way. So for us, you know, we have a different range. We have a 22 year old, we have a 32 year old, you know, it's convincing the 32 year old at the end of his career. What, what is the weight training doing for him? How can we maybe keep him a year longer or two years longer on the end of his career for the younger guy? It's much more developmental. So we break it down into developmental guys, the younger guys, and then we have the veteran guys. And we kind of pair it into those different groupings. Then within those groupings, you have the bigs, the developmental big guys and the, the veteran big guys. And then you have the skill developmental guys and the skill big guy. I mean, the, the skill veterans. So, you know, there's different levels of programming. We try to ad adjust those programmings to their age and their needs. And then they kind of see that, it's just not cookie cutter programming. There's a reason behind what we do and why that particular person's in that particular program. I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I do think it's just communicating to them, having a plan, having the reason behind the plan so the guys can ask why, well, developmental lineman, you're in this group because you need more of this. Veteran lineman, you're in this plan because you don't need the reps and the, and the volume, but you need the strength. You need the high intensity. We need to keep your strength going at a high level. But I don't need to do all those reps to wear you out. 
So there's different reasons behind it. And if you can sell them on why that's important for them to do it, the buy-in usually comes along pretty good. Okay. Same with your population. Training a 50-year-old is much different than training a 20-year-old. Yeah. And the different pairings and the groupings and why they're in that certain group goes a long way into explaining what you're doing. And, and kind of piggybacking off that question, Coach, um, when you when you kind of ex- go through the explaining the explanation process, because we've had this where we've done some different pairings, have you run into any issues where guys um, seem to be, I don't want to say upset, but it's more of like a, how can you sit down and say that I'm in this developmental group when I'm in the NFL? Um, you know, and kind of yeah, how you yeah. walk through that? Well, I think, again, there's ways of – there's going to be some pushback at times on certain guys. There's no doubt they, they get offended easily or whatever. And then that's the individual to conversation. You sit down with them one-on-one and say, listen, this is why I think you need, and this is why I think you need it. Um, and that's going to come more in a conversation with a skill guy than anything. Usually the linemen get it. You know, they're, they're in that and they, they realize why they need that. They, they don't question it as much. And it's a little more of their personalities. But the skill guys are a little different animal with that. But if you can sell them on the fact of why you're doing it, hey, you, you need more volume right now. You're just very young. You haven't done it enough. You, we're trying to build this body armor up for you that you just need repetitions and you need to just do more work. And that in turn will help you as we get to those later years, you know, but it's just telling them why you're doing it. And if there is a kid that has a real bad issue with it, you sit down with them and talk to them about it. If there's still an issue with it, well, then we, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it because ultimately we, it is a service industry. And and if the kid's not going to do your plan, then you got to switch your plan to make sure the kid's getting something done. So you, you try to explain it. If he needs more explanation, you're one-on-one with him. If he still doesn't like it, well, then we're going to sit and kind of tailor the plan to the kid. And, and, you know, that's what we have to do. You know, there are a few kids that we, we do write individual planning for. You know, they're high needs guys. They're, they're, they're needy. They're, they don't, some of it's just ego. I want a different plan than everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that could be simply just, tweaking the order of exercises and switching some things up. And, you know, you don't sell your soul out for that stuff. You, you still right. stick to what you believe. I'll never sell my soul for a guy just to appease him. I'm going to do what I think is right. And, you know, we'll kind of come to some middle ground. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Never sell your soul because then once you do, you're, you're done. Especially in my population. If they think they can go over and you change your mind or you, you know, you're done. I mean, you got to really stick to what you believe. Now, within that belief, you have to have some flexibility to maybe alternate exercises or rep schemes or stuff. But, you know, I'm a free weight guy. We're going to lift. We're going to, you know, we're going to do the basics. We're going to do them well. And that never is going to change. So, you know, if that means I front squat versus back squat or box squat or, or something, we're going to squat. Right. But I don't sell my philosophy down the road. We're not going to all of a sudden do one set of 10 on every machine. You know, right. that's not going to happen. So. Okay. Awesome. Coach, uh, you've obviously been ahead of uh, many programs. Uh, what do you do? What do you feel like you've done best to sell your culture 
um, not just necessarily of training, but 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 effort, uh, the buy-in to listening, um, and all those aspects. Because you know, and I say that like Willie said, you would think, oh, this is military; they're gonna do whatever you said. That's a bunch of horseshit. They're actually told their entire career to do everything, and they this is the one point in their life where they can really do what they want to do. So you have to have. There has to be some sort of uh, buying and culture selling on our side, which we do. But to hear how you do it and how you've done it, and maybe the most successful ends of that would be beneficial to us. So you can maybe share and expound upon that. I think for me, it's always been a couple things. One is to set the expectation up front. Not only what I expect from them, but what they should expect from me. You know, they should have an expectation, too, of what what it's like and, and what training is going to be. And, hey, they should expect to come in and have an organized workout. They should expect to come from me to have the weight room set up and ready to go. They should expect that they'll have their cards monitored and that uh, I'm checking on what they're doing. They should have an expectation. And, and we talk through that, you know, up front. Hey, you guys, this is what you should expect from your coaching staff, from your strength staff. And in turn, this is what I expect from you. And it's stated up front. And I think that's got to be a clear message across the board about what your standards are, what you believe, what your philosophy. And that that is important communication for those guys. So when they walk in, that, that piece of communication is very clear cut. Um, I think they... The, the culture building, again, is, is set through those expectations, what you're willing to tolerate, what's not, you're, what you're not willing to tolerate. This is how we dress. This, when, when we say we're on time, we're on time. You know, I remember in college, if you were, I'd stand at the door, and when it was 8 o'clock and the workout started at 8, door was shut, doors were locked, and the kid would be walking down the hall. Being on time and just setting those expectations very clearly and upfront, I think goes a long way to that culture setting and then the follow through on what you say you're going to do. So if being on time is important and you said that to you, you said that to your players, then they need to know that they can't come 30 seconds late. You know, if you tell them, I want your shoes tied and you're dressed in the gym, ready to go in gear that we have provided, any kid that comes in with his own T-shirt on, you're out. Till you come back in with the proper gear, you can't let those things slide not one time. And then very quickly that culture gets ingrained pretty quickly because they know you're not just saying it. And I think the other thing was keeping it simple. I don't think you have 20 rules to follow. I think you really kind of streamline what is it that you feel is really important. And those three or four things are uncompromised. And those are what sets your foundation of your culture. And then you just hold the standard from there on out. But communicating what the standard is and holding them accountable to that standard 100% of the time will set that culture. And I think that's no matter where I was, we were always pretty sound with that. Setting the expectations, letting them know what their expectations of us should be, and then follow through on what you said you were going to do. I think that's the, really the way you kind of set yourself up for success. Thanks, Coach. Anybody else questions, Brian? Um, so question on, uh, I guess, like uh, staff relations. Um, 
in your career, were there any trends as far as characteristics um, or maybe models um, that were consistent across uh, the better staffs you've been on? Uh, uh, here's, a, here's a story. So, and it's probably something I've learned in the last two or three years. Um, I always used to say, I used to joke, I never wanted to hire me like a guy with my own personality because I can't stand myself 90% of the time. I can't imagine my players standing me for that long. You know, I have a certain personality that some guys are going to like, some guys aren't going to like, but I want to have a staff with different personalities, but we all believe in the same fundamental belief system from a training standpoint. We believe in the same fundamental beliefs from a character standpoint. They're all good men who, you know, they're good people. And, and those things don't change. But I want them to have different personalities than mine so the players all have someone that they feel they can bond with. They have a personality that they feel more comfortable with. If a kid doesn't feel comfortable coming to me, but he has he's comfortable coming to somebody else on my staff, that's great as long as that player has somebody that he feels he can go to. And I know that that person's going to get the best and there's no sacrifice of the program or sacrifice of the philosophy and the message is going to be the same. It might be delivered differently, might be delivered nicer, it might be delivered less sarcastically, but the message is going to be delivered and that's what we want at the end of the day, that these players have someone where they feel they can connect with. The last two years, now I'm an assistant here at Cleveland, the last two years I've worked under a guy named Larry Jackson. And uh, Larry came from uh, Texas A&M, and um, he has been about as good a boss as I've seen watching him um, manage a staff. And he takes great pleasure in watching the staff do what they do well and, and being unified. And what I mean by that, he lets us do do what we do well. So... For me, it's it's really the nuts and bolts of weight training. It's it's how to get stronger. It's the percentaging and the volumes and creating the strength templates. And we have other guys who are a little bit more into the rehab side of things. And we have other guys that are a little more into the stretching mobility side of things. And he really kind of identifies what you do well and encourages you to do that part really good. Be really good at what you do. That doesn't mean like – you don't take an interest in the other stuff because we all write together. So at the end of the day, when we're done writing that program, it's viewed through four different sets of eyes. So there's really no holes. And then when the players come and start questioning the program, it's been agreed upon when we leave that office that this is our program. And I think Larry has done about as great a job of that. And if I could take something, if I get another opportunity to run a program, I would absolutely look at that model, hiring guys with different skill sets. Again, their, their character has to be first and foremost. I, you need to have good people. You need to have honest people. You need to have guys that get along and have each other's backs. In this profession, that's crucial. But if you have a little bit more knowledge in speed training, I'm going to let you kind of run with that and if you have a little more knowledge and flexibility mobility I want you to run with that too but at the end of the day we're all going to sit down and when we're in that office it's a safe environment to say whatever it is you want to say he creates an environment that no suggestion is laughed at nothing you say is stupid and we can discuss it 
and we could iron it out. And then when we leave that office, we knew everybody has been part of this creation process. And I think if I, you know, that's probably what I think is the best way to do this. Get a really good group of men that really have each other's backs. Let them do what they do well. And let's all do this together. It's not my program. It's ours. And I think as a staff, we all kind of own it together. So even every, every assistant feels that they're valued. And I think it's been a great experience. And I, I think if I get a chance to do that again, or if I would recommend to, to uh, strength coaches, I think probably wasn't that way early on for me because we're all kind of control freaks and you, you want to make sure we do this and I'm in charge of this and I'm in charge of that. And I'm in, but once you, 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 that's an insecurity. I think now that I feel more secure with things and who I would hire and everything, and I'm a little smarter that way into what's important, I think surrounding yourself with good people and letting them do what they do well, I think it's, a, it's the way to go. Um, kind of piggybacking off of a couple of things you're saying in there, um, when you go into an interview uh, as the uh, person in charge of the hiring process, uh, what big things are you – looking to hear like what things are uh, a a big indicator for you like this could be a good hire compared to some things that might be red flags for you well i guess for me hiring you know the the number one thing for me would be whose recommendation is you know are they people that i trust people that i've cultivated a relationship with who know me and their recommendation is probably going to be the first thing that I look at who, who is the person recommending them? Cause if it's a person I have a lot of respect for, or I, I hold in high regard, that's going to go a long way to thinking this is going to fit really well. I'm looking for fit. Um, this job is too hard and there's too many hours and you're around each other too long for guys that have their own agenda and who's, who, who are me guys. And I just, that stuff kind of, I don't need that. I'd rather have a guy with good character, good work ethic, who's loyal and trustworthy, and we can teach the other stuff too. You can teach percentages and reps. and That stuff's easy to teach, but you can't teach work ethic and you can't teach character. So I'd say for me, if I'm making those hires, I'm looking at who their references are, who they've worked with in the past that I could kind of call on and say, hey, listen, you know me, is this guy going to fit or not? And then and then go from there. So I I know that doesn't really answer the question, but I I think for me, that's the most important thing right now is um, who's recommending them. I don't know if I'll ever hire a guy that's not recommended by someone I trust, you know, and that's not fair to some kids that could be really good kids. And, but I also don't want to make a mistake um, on some of those things. You know, kids are really good at selling themselves nowadays and, you know, I don't want to hire a kid and, you know, two weeks down the road going, Oh Jesus, mm-hmm. where, you know, why didn't I see this in the interview? So, uh, you know, in, in lieu of me missing something, I'd rather know that the, their, uh, their references, somebody I respect. Yeah, no, I, I understand. That. I think I would have been before I was in a hiring position, I would have been uh, a little more apt to think that was unfair. But once I got in the hiring, uh, hiring position, I, I totally got it at that point. Yeah. And like I said, is it fair? I'm not sure fair is the right word. I mean, 
this isn't about fair. This is about you're the head guy. This is your job. This is your responsibility to provide for your coach, provide for your athletes. And it's not always about being fair. Did I give this young kid a chance or not? It's about I have a responsibility at the end of the day. And I have to fulfill that responsibility. And that's what's most important to me is making sure that I'm doing that. You know, I have a goal when I'm hired. If, if I get hired, my, my goal every time I've been hired has been the same from when I started till, till even now. I want at the end of the day for that team, that coach to go back and say, I'm so glad I hired that guy. That was my best hire. That motivates me. Like, I want to be the best. Now, that's the arbitrary, you know, thing. Who's the best? Who's not the best? But I want that coach to sit back and go, man, I'm glad he was my strength coach. So I want to make sure that all the people I hire are going to provide that that goal, that stimulus. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot of young kids out there that, you know, need a shot. and But there's internships and stuff. And, you know, there, there's opportunities for some of these kids to, to work their way up. Mm-hmm. Real, real quick, Flynn, before we jump off this topic, um, Coach, if you don't mind, um, if you I, this is something that we kind of struggle with um, in our current position. I know kind of Coach Swin talked about that we were all head guys. Um, the the One of the, the stranger things about our current position is even though we've all been head guys, we're all 100% on the exact same level. So there's our, we have a boss and he's, he's kind of our program manager, but what our situation is basically unique in that they brought in five former head strength and conditioning coaches to all work together. So, and I don't want you to go into too much um, if you don't feel comfortable with it, but kind of going back to you sitting in those meetings where you guys were developing everything at the same time. And how did you guys, um, or how did you kind of feel? And then how did you guys work through it? If that was your guys' first time going through that on how to basically really kind of collaborate and not just kind of gloss it over and say you did it because you just want the head guy to be like, yeah, everyone worked together, but you didn't. Well, I think a lot of that comes from Larry, our head guy. I think he, he, um, I think he sets that standard early on, like, man, this is how we're going to do things. And I think him being the head guy and him saying, this isn't about me. If there's an idea that you have that's better than mine, we're using it. So it's that, again, creating that environment from the head person that says, listen, we're going to do what's best for these players and whoever's idea is the best, we're going to do it. So I think that comes from the leadership first off, because if anybody's going to have the, who, who could have the ego to squash this, it would be him. You know, he could be the one beating his chest going, me, 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 this is my program. This is, and he doesn't do that. So he creates that environment by how he handles the staff. So I think kudos to him for doing that. And I think when you see your leader do that, you kind of take your ego aside and say, you know what? He's right. We're all doing this together and we all affect each other's paychecks. You know, we need to get along. We need to work this thing through. And I think that has helped that tremendously. The interesting thing here was three of the guys that came in, Larry and two assistants he brought with them all worked together at Texas A&M and I was the odd guy out. So it was just kind of getting together and just kind of working through it a little bit. And I don't have an ego in this either. I just want to help. You know, I, I've been a head guy. 
and, and, and now I'm an assistant and I'm just, I'm happy to be coaching. You know, I'm happy to be doing this for a living and still doing it. And I understand it, you know, and, and for me, I don't have, I'm, I don't have to be the guy, right? It's not who I am either. It's just not my makeup. So I think that worked well that we all kind of came in. And again, when we talk about your staff, making sure that our character is first and foremost, and we have each other's backs, you know, this is a staff that really truly does that. So when we sit down and design, you know, we kind of go together and, you know, all of a sudden we'll look at it and somebody will throw out a suggestion or what to think about this. And pretty soon it, you know, what's maybe took a, you know, two hours to get rolling. We might be down to like 35 minutes once we, now that we know our rhythms and stuff and we just got in a roll. But I think our head man sets that tone by, by taking the ego away from this. And then we all can really kind of have an environment where we can contribute. If that answers that question. No, I think being a head guy, the, the leader of that group has to set it up. Now, I think the unique thing with you guys have all been a head guy before. You understand, too, and I think it's one of the things why me and, me and Larry get along so well is you have somebody now that's been in that chair. That's the big difference now. So when I give Larry a suggestion or, or say, hey, Larry, did you think of this? He takes it coming from a guy who sat in his chair before. And since all you guys have been head guys, I think that's valuable knowledge that you, you give feedback. You're not giving feedback. You're giving feedback from a place of like, listen, I know what it's like to make these decisions. And I think that's huge. You know, before I became a head guy, you know, I, I had a great mentor in Rock Gullickson. And I was assistant for 10 years for Rock. And when I got my first head job, I'm like, man, I got this. You know, I've been working my whole life for this. It ain't no big, you know, he's, he has shown me every aspect of this job. I'm ready, you know, and then all of a sudden you sit in that chair and everything falls back on you. If something goes wrong and those players are looking at you to, man, you got to, that's a different, that's a different view being in that chair for the first time. So I think you guys are in a great situation. If all you guys are, are good men to have that kind of experience and can throw that knowledge around, I think it's great. That's, that's awesome, Coach. Thanks for that. Coach, I was going to ask how, uh, generally speaking, what are the biggest things you've changed through the years? And um, and kind of why, and were there any things that you've changed through the years that were the toughest for you to actually go ahead and do? Uh, it's a good question. Obviously, kids have changed. You know, I, I look back at when I was starting out my career in the early, early 90s and, and mid-90s, and you know, it's funny, like kids then, you could really dive right into the strength training part of it because kids had a work ethic. You know, kids grew up, they had jobs, they, you know, the summer jobs program was real jobs, you know, they, they had to work. And then they'd come in after their day of work and they'd train. I remember the guys at Texas, we'd have a, we'd have a lifting group at like six o'clock at night because those guys had jobs during the day. And then they'd come in and after their job was over and we had to train them. And I think the thing that's changed really is, you know, kids today, they, they, they don't have jobs. They've never had a job. Um, even manual labor, um, many of them haven't even shoveled their own driveway or, you know, just simple things that were of a physical nature. So I think now you're really kind of teaching 
the value of work and the byproduct of that is them getting stronger, more explosive, where before you didn't have to teach the work ethic and why I'm working this hard. I think that has been probably the biggest difference over time is now you really have to, to um, show them why working is important, how straining is important, why you know, grinding is important, showing up every day. I remember going back to Virginia the second time. I was there twice, and the second time – um, you know, we had those, you know, eight hours a week and you'd go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, two hours at a time. And I realized early on that the kids couldn't give you a full two hours, you know, that you get a good solid hour and 15 minutes hard. And then the last 45 minutes, you were kind of dragging them along. And as a coach, you were frustrated, you know? So one of the things that, you know, I adapted to is instead of going four days a week, I made them come in five, but I shortened the time. I said, okay, we're going to go for an hour and 20 or an hour. And, you know, this, this is what we're going to do. But I want the expectation to be that this is going to be the, a real hard hour, and 15 minutes. There can't be that letdown. And I think that worked really well. And then the, the message of you got to come to work every single day, every day, come to work, come to work, ready to go, because this is what your life is going to be like anyway, when you're done with, football and done with college and done with this stuff you're going to go to work every day and you're going to have to perform and you're going to have to perform at a high level and you can't have that drop off at the end of the day it's just not real so I mean you try to teach them how this translates in their life and everything and I think that was one of the things uh, making that transition you know I got better quality work the guys came in with a better attitude they were a little more energetic and you know, I thought it was a win for both of us. So that was one of the things that, you know, has changed over time. I don't know if it's like the old days where you can grind them for two hours and expect that two hours to be really, really quality. Cause at the end, they just don't, they just don't do it. So, um, but as far as philosophical changes, I don't think I've really changed much philosophically. I probably changed in how I, um, uh, go about doing it, you know, breaking things down into smaller components. I remember back in the days, you know, when we first started, it was powerlifting. So you'd had these eight week cycles, you know, 12 week cycle. And it, it, you could progress that way. I think now we break it down into more three week cycles and three week blocks or two week blocks. And I think those, as long as they, those blocks lead into the next phase very smartly, I think, uh, that's another thing that I've kind of done a little bit differently is shorten my phases down so that, that they, there's a little bit more variety in those things, but it's not variety for variety's sake. It's variety to build upon something. They're like deconstructing your squat or, or deconstructing your Olympic movements. So by the time you're done with your, your training cycle, you've put it all together and everything else, everything has gotten stronger. So I've looked at it through those eyes too. If I deconstruct some things, if this is where I want to be eight weeks from now, how am I going to get there and look at it those ways? But philosophically, I've always been a believer that you need strength. You need, you need to go heavy. You need to strain and grind. You need to pull from the floor. You need to be good at the basics. Don't put something in your program just to cover your ass. Put it in your program because it means something to you and you want them to be good at it. You know, I've seen a lot of programs where guys says, well, I do one set of groin. Okay, you covered that, I guess, but 
is it really important? Because players don't think it is because you've only done one set of it. So, you know, we're going to squat. We're going to pull from the floor. We're going to do some Olympic movements. You know, we're going to clean. We're, you know, I've snatched in the past, but we're definitely going to clean. Um, we're going to RDL. We're going to bend over row. We're going to press, whether that be a standing press, an incline press, a bench press. Um, we're going to pull up, we're going to dip, we're going to do the basic movement patterns. And that hasn't changed in 30 years. Thank you, coach. Mm -hmm. Coach, I know, I know you're a guy that can survive with a barbell and dumbbell and that's it. That's all you need. But is there any piece of equipment that you've seen from the start of your career to now that have really played a useful resource in training your athletes at the different levels? And there's a certain amount of that, and that equipment, you see any of that being conducive to our environment um, that you'd be willing to share? Um, I, you know, obviously, the, the use of bands and chains, I mean, I, I would say when I started out in the early 90s, you, you weren't seeing that much. And that the onset of those bands and chains and the knowledge that we've gained from West side and accommodating resistance. I think those are things that are very useful and are implemented now. I think those really help. Um, I was dead sent against kettlebells for the longest period of time. Cause when you have to be budget friendly, you're like, why am I buying kettlebells when I have a dumbbell? What can I do with a kettlebell that I can't do with a dumbbell. And then once I first got a, a, a pair of kettlebells, I'm like, well, there's a difference, you know, so getting kettlebells involved a little bit more in the programming has been, you know, something that I think is very valuable. Um, those are probably the, the, the two biggest things that, you know, other than the barbell and, you know, basic weights that we've really kind of expanded on. Um, obviously now with the, the, tendo units or the velocity based training um i still think you coaching i can tell whether the bar is moving fast or not i don't think you waste your money on some of those things but i do think some guys like that immediate feedback it does create some competition um on some guys but um really the, the bands the chains the kettlebells um we do a lot of sled work a lot of resisted you know prowler you know work there I think that's been really beneficial to us too. Uh, you know, you can go on and on about the, the benefits of sled pushing and pulling those things. But again, those are pretty basic things. I wouldn't say any of that's revolutionary. Thanks coach. I'd much rather condition guys with sleds and stuff than I would just have them run. Yeah. Yeah. Less chance of soft tissue injuries too. Say that again. I, I see less of a chance of a soft tissue injury too. Oh, I do too. I think, you know, I, and I think it's just more specific to your population, our population. I mean, for us, the, some of these guys are terrific athletes. The, the energy expenditure they do on running straight, straight, uh, you know, striders and stuff, they don't, it doesn't tax them at all, but you have them strain under a load and push against something, you know, or drag something with them. I think then you're getting just, you know, better condition. You know, a lot of farm, we, I do a lot of farmers carries and, um, you know, the sled works, you know, the sledgehammering and tire flipping, anything that's going to make them brace and strain. And especially when they're breathing heavy um, is going to do really good. You know, the heavy sandbags, um, 
I, I think all that stuff's really good and the, their ability to brace and use their stomach and, and, and do those things that really strong people know how to do. I think those are all very valuable, even especially when they're tired, you know, learning how to use your stomach when you're tired, learning how to brace, learning how to do that after you've done a sled push. So having them push the sled and then all of a sudden do a one arm carry, you know, I think all those things are awesome. And that's a lot how I set up my conditioning work. Thanks, Coach. Taylor, do you have anything hey. you want to ask? Yeah. Hey, Coach. It's Taylor McKinney. I'm one of the physical therapists there at the schoolhouse. Um, something that we deal with a lot is, you know, everybody's training and everybody's hurt at some point in time. Um, how do you and your staff handle guys that might have, like, boo-boos, but they're not hurt, hurt? You know what I mean? Like we're trying to keep guys training, but we're trying to have some physical therapy input or some athletic training input. So how do you guys with your staff kind of coordinate that back and forth between the disciplines? Well, the relationship between those, between the strength staff and the training staff, you know, that, that needless to say has to be super strong and the communication on those guys and which guys have limitations and which guys, you know, don't, I mean, that's a daily conversation throughout the year where we're constantly talking about those guys and, 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 and who needs modifications from the program. We're really fortunate the, the guys here, the training staff at the Browns, they're, they're awesome. And um, what we have here, which is unique again, this is something new that I've seen in the last two years. One of our strength coaches is the guy that does all the alterations to the program. So him and the, one of the trainers, the physical therapist, they meet on all those guys that have um, some one-offs that they need to get accomplished, and they run through them and try to stay as close to the program as we can. But now the players, when they come in and they know they can't do an exercise or they have a limitation, they have one guy to go to. And his whole focus is on those adaptations to the program for, that, for those injured guys. He's also the guy that's in charge of the injury pit when we're practicing that reconditioning phase that, that, that um, you know, the guys that can't practice, where are they doing? And he's in charge of all that too. So having one strength coach that's truly dedicated to that stuff. So when we're designing the program, his mind can go right to, well, if we can't do that, this is what we can do. Or this player can do this instead of this. And having that has been phenomenal. And again, one of the things that I wrote down, like if I get another opportunity, that's a must-have on my staff, a guy that truly looks at it from that standpoint and can have that relationship with the trainer where those two can get on the same page and make sure that, those, that every player is getting the best treatment they can get. Thanks, Coach. So I'll go again, coach. Um, I want to run this scenario past you because this is another thing that we deal with. Um, it's, it seems um, extremely abstract when we talk to other strength and conditioning coaches about it, but a real hard thing that we run into is when we do our testing or our metrics, because the metrics don't exactly correlate to jobs. So I, we really, because of the infancy of the program, we can't really sit down and tell guys that they're going to be a better soldier because they deadlift more weight. 
um, where, again, we can go back and we can extrapolate some things, but it's also led to um, us re kind of thinking the metrics, um, but more just kind of an overarching concept is it's really hard to convince guys to be really good at soldiering because that's all they've ever done. And they've made it – it's, it's kind of like making it to the NFL, but the NFL doesn't require you to be talented. Like, you got, you're extremely good. But like we never factored in talent. So uh, the question I have is kind of looking at what would be some suggestions you might be able to give us on how to kind of create and sell programs that don't really have definitive ends or definitive markers. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I guess the question I'd ask you is: Do you believe what you do helps these helps your clientele? Yes, sir. Do you believe that? Do you yeah. believe what you do helps them better at their job, better uh, be better men or, or women? Or do, do you feel that? Do you believe that? I, I think that we're, we're hitting um, about as close to the mark as we can get with the limited information because obviously we don't go on deployments. So we might see particular facets of what they might do. Um, but I think, I think that Early on, I thought that we were, we were doing a lot to kind of, if I could show you that a deadlift got better, that I was succeeding. But I think now it's more of the programming evolves into a, the guy feels like what we're doing is helpful. Before we were trying to make them kind of feel helpful, the exercises feel helpful. But now I think the exercises are, it's almost secondary because now they feel that what is happening is actually translating. Well, I think that's really what we all do. I mean, could I say if a guy squatted 25, 30 pounds more, it's going to make him a better football player? No. Um, but then there's other things involved in this that are, that are, you know, does it help build body armor? Does it help you, you know, move a little bit better. I mean, obviously being stronger helps your movement skills. And, and there's just some fundamental things that training does. Does it help make you, I wouldn't say tougher. That's not really where I'm going with it, but does the fact that you're working um, and, and doing this physical activity make you better? Yeah, I think it does. And I think, we can keep working toward making it more specific, but I still think that's not the answer. I think just making them stronger overall, it's going to help them. And then there's just the selling of that. It's hard to say because yeah, I can't really say what I'm doing now is making them a better football player. Like what you're doing isn't making them a better soldier, but is it making them better? Does doing nothing make them better? Doing nothing doesn't make them better. So you're trying to take your knowledge and what you think is working and and you're telling them that, listen, if you do this, it's going to make you better what you do. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you more fit, which obviously is going to help you do your job better. Being able to be more fit and being able to think faster, clearer when you're under fatigue, that's going to be better for you. So if there's ways we can put them in those positions, like when they're resting, can we strain them mentally and test them that way to keep them engaged and, and thinking when they're under duress, that's going to help your guys. I'd imagine tremendously. I mean, I tried to do that with college guys because you get tired of the bad body language. 
So we implemented in between while they're resting, we would ask them questions. And we realized that their body language got a lot better when they started focusing on on answering questions and were under mental duress. And I thought that was a really good thing. So it's hard to say exactly what you're, I get your question. I, I'm not answering it, but I think there's things you can sell your clients on that say, this is absolutely helping you do your job better. But I can't answer like, yeah, deadlifting is not going to definitely make you a better soldier. I, I understand that, but being stronger overall makes you better. Yes. So I think it's going to come in handy. I, you know, I, I think being stronger and being fitter is going to come in handy no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, I would, I would also argue that probably the better deadlifter you are, the more awesome you are just as a person. So uh, there's definitely character involved. Like I said, yeah. having a work ethic, being able to push yourself, being able to elevate a group to push themselves harder because I'm looking over at you going, man, look at him. He's working his ass off. Uh, I got to step up my game all those things going to what we do every single day, it's team building. And so I think there's ways, yeah, yeah, I think it makes you better, but I don't think I can answer the question as, you know, what you said, does deadlifting make you a better soldier? It's hard to draw that line, but right. Not that, not deadlifting certainly doesn't make you better, you know? Right. So that's awesome. Thank you. That was a really good answer. It's hard to so, not these questions. You're like, fuck, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's really hard because, like, we talk about it, and it's, it's, it's a really hard concept to – when we talk to other strength and conditioning coaches because it's so different. Like, you know, the insight you gave about a lot of the staffing things were issues that we've been talking about. But it's, it's so hard to talk about because it's like, well, you know, our guys come in and it's optional, and, you know, we're just like you except – our guys aren't athletic. And then you're like, well, well, shit. Like, I don't, how do you, how do you coach? How do you coach somebody that's not very athletic? And it's like, well, shit, anything really works. Like, you know, it's like, how do you get less than terrible? Well, okay. Well, then you work back from there. Um, but I think, I think the answers that you've given have, have, have helped us out, um, especially with the stuff that we're really struggling with and that we're really trying to um, hammer through during this downtime. Those are the those are the questions that you've been super beneficial for us on. So you know, listen, I think tra- there's a value to training. I mean, there's a the, the life lessons I'm sure any one of you guys have learned over your years in the gym is invaluable. Like these lessons, you you just can't get anywhere else but in a gym to set goals, to work that you don't get instant gratification. You have to put in the work to do it. That there's a straining involved that, you know, there's going to be times when you don't want to. And, you know, we, we all know the expression iron never lies that, you know, there's an honesty to what we do and the lessons that we've learned through training. And we try to instill those lessons in our clients. And I think those are the things that ultimately we truly believe in and what made us gravitate toward this job. And I think that's what we sell to our players and they see that sincerely like we're trying to make them better human beings. Our way of doing it is through the lessons we've learned through the gym and through training. And, you know, we're better people because we've done it. And I think that's really why we do what we do. At least that's, you know, what got me into this. You know, I remember some of the lessons I've learned early on that I was a teenage kid that I still use to this day, you know, they're lessons I've learned in the gym and, uh, they don't go, you know, they, they're so true now as they were when I was 15 years old. 
Um, there was one thing too about the staffing thing you, you made me think of. Um, you know, when I first got here to Cleveland, we started with this high performance model, and I know that's a big term right now, high performance, and and um, you know the sports science and stuff. And and one thing that I'd like to say about that is like high performance isn't a person. You know, people come in, yeah, I'm a director of high performance. You know, what is that? You know, high performance is not a person. High performance is a group of people working together, performing highly together. And when I first got here, um, I had, I, I won't mention names, but we had a different director and um, nobody was on the same page. Nobody had each other's backs. There was, you know, all these individual groups. And, and as a department, we performed so poorly. And I remember interviewing for the job here. I had just gotten let go at Minnesota and I was interviewing for the job. And I remember one of the questions they asked was, what are your reservations about this model? And the first thing that came to mind is, is getting all these people on the same page, working together and putting their egos aside that we can do what's best. And for my first two years here, we performed as badly as I could ever imagine. I'd be in this profession and, um, it just made me laugh at what people thought of as high performance. You know, they thought this magical guy was going to come in and lead these people on this high performance. It was a person. And, you know, the last couple of years when we got the right people in place, got the right people who know how to lead and let people do their job and build this unity together and that's amongst the training staff and the, and the, and the strength staff and the sports scientists and the nutritionists. That is really where high performance has come on because now I really feel we're working as one giant unit for the benefit of the players. And I think that's been a big difference. And again, when you're building your staff, you want to make sure you get the right people, not so much a guy that's read this book or, or has done this job. He's got to be the right person. You guys got any other questions? Uh, I have another one. Yep. Um, so if uh, if within profession, uh, uh, if today's you could go back and talk to yourself when you first started, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I say that a lot. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a few things. Obviously. You know, I've been, again, very lucky to be able to do this for 30 years, and I, I do feel very fortunate. There's a lot of really good coaches out there that, um, you know, whether they're high school coaches or, or college coaches or pro coaches or, or special forces coaches, there's a lot of good coaches out there that have lost their job and, and they're not coaching right now. And I know I am very fortunate to still be in this this business. And... Um, I, I guess the thing I would say is, um, A, not every job is better than the one you have. I mean, sometimes I've made moves that I look back now and go, geez, why did I do that? You know, and, um, you know, maybe we think the next job is going to be a little bit better as your situation is going to be a little bit better or, and it turns out to be a, 
you know, a bad mistake. And, you know, there's, there's times I've left a job that I look back now and go, geez, I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, I'm, you know, you, you just, but you got to own what you do and you make these decisions and you, you take these jobs and you leave a job or, you know, you get fired from a job and you got to sit there and, you know, you got to analyze what happened. What did I do? What, what went wrong? And, and you got to be honest with yourself and you got to fix those things and you got to make sure that, you know, you've, you've taken everything and learned from the past. So I would just say to my younger self, you know, just keep learning be honest with yourself, um, own it. You know, if you, if, if something goes wrong and you're a leader, then you, you own it and your assistants don't touch that stuff. You know, you're the leader of the group and you, you take it. And I think those are the things that, you know, I've tried to do throughout my whole career. And if I'd look back at those are the same lessons I'd look at now, you know, don't job hop from one to another if, without looking at, you know, everything involved with that job and um you know understand that you know there's a lot of good coaches out there and you know keep your mind open to learn from everybody every experience um you don't know it all you far from it and there's a lot of aspects to this job there's leadership there's communication get better at those things too you know it's not about what you know it's about making sure those people you, you can communicate it to people be a better communicator you know be a little bit more philosophical, you know, learn all those things. And, you know, it's not just about being a good strength coach. It's about being a good coach. Thank you. Uh, coach, you know, kind of on your time, I want to give you a shot. If you want to ask us any questions, um, be happy to answer the best of our ability. And other than that, just kind of wrap this thing up. I guess it's, it's your jobs have been fascinating to me. Like that military side of things, I just think is phenomenal. And, and, and your ability to, to do your part for our country. So first I'd, I'd like to just commend what you do. Uh, I admire it dramatically. I mean, I, I really do. I, I think what you guys do is just awesome. How do you guys feel your job is evolving? Like, um, what are some of the challenges you face, I guess, and where do you see special forces training going in the next couple of years? Is it going to expand like football has expanded to this high performance model? Is, is, you know, what do you see your role is going to be? I guess give me a little bit more on, on what you guys do and where you see your going, selves going. I'll, I'll let Willie kind of answer that because he's been in this probably the longest, so he'll probably have the best foundation of that. Um, so I think, I mean, even us, like within where we're at is we've kicked around the term, um, high performance model. Um, you know, so it, it's not just like, it just not that it seems to be sweeping the strength and conditioning. And I, and I think your answer was really, really spot on because people used to talk about it. Like it was this thing, like it was tangible and you were just going to grab it. And then all of a sudden you were doing it. Um, but the, the biggest challenges we face, it's, um, you know, it's, there's a lot that's similar to, I think, where you guys, where you guys are, you know, you're sitting at is the, the time frames that we have, like if something's not working, it's not like you could, we just can't sit back for five or six iterations of something and let it not happen. And then just expect for everything to be okay. So our, our, um, 
ability to be um, kind of shift gears or be, you, I, I hate the term reactionary, but that's kind of what we are is we we're reactionary, but what we have to be able to do is um, take that limited time between when something happens and we need to have an answer to come up with something to the best of our ability. Um, you know, it's, the, the, the way that we're headed, I hope, is that, you know, we keep progressing along this model that we have where, you know, the work that we're doing is, is what we said we were going to set out for these guys. And um, in our particular installation is that we're providing the force, the best canvas for all these other special forces groups to be able to utilize those canvases and make great soldiers. Um, you know, I, I, I feel that we're in a really, really easy spot, um, especially on the group side, because it's, we're doing the same things. I mean, it's, you know, we have bands and chains, you know, we're going to try to take these guys to performance levels that they may not have ever thought that they had, because a lot of these guys might not have athletic backgrounds. Um, so do you find the facilities are good? Do you like, like the support you get for like facilities is good? Um, so we have, I mean, we have a, a room that it Schwinn's a lot better with the specs and knowing that type of stuff, but it's, it's 50, I think 200 square feet. We have 10 or 12 racks in it. We have glued hams, we have turfs. So, I mean, we're, I mean, when you walk into something, it's, it looks like a, a you know, a pretty decent college weight room or, you know, a pro weight room. Um, you know, we're, we're using the same methods. I think that you guys are, it's just, we're a lot more cognizant of the fact that the methods are great, but we just don't have a lot of the same canvases. So while I love doing, you know, like, let's just say you're running, this is just an arbitrary example. Um, you're running a, a set of speed squats with bands. Well, it would be super cool to have guys do speed squats with like th 315, a straight weight on top of it. It, it just doesn't exist. So it's super, you know, like it's the weird, like the meathead in you that you've seen a lot of really cool, strong people. Um, you might not have a lot of those. But at the end of the day, the goal is, is still the same. It's, it's that, that canvas, that end product that goes off the group. Um, and on the backside, and I can let Drew talk about it a little bit more, but it's, it's equally um, as fulfilling for us is when a guy comes back in and, you know, maybe they don't, maybe performance isn't the number one goal, but it's quality of life. Like, hey, man, you know, I've been on hundreds of jumps and my shoulders are so bad and all I want to do is be able to pick up my kids. You know, um, those, you know, taking on those goals too has been, has been super fulfilling, but yet I, I can't foresee with the need and what we're trying to do. And hopefully that people see the validity of what we're doing, that this thing just keeps expanding. Um, and is that TSAC certification necessary? Um, we can get in, we can get in with the CSCS. So, um, you know, a lot of ours is, it's a lot of the same requirements as, you know, like a head guy would have it. It's X amount of years in the business, um, X amount of certifications, you know, masters preferred stuff like that. Um, you know, but the, like the, 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 the constraints that we talked about, I think, and what you shed a lot of light on is just that, that aspect of coming into something where I've always done it my way. Like, you know, we always talk about collaboration when we're the head guy. Well, collaborating is easy when you're the head guy because you're just dictating to everyone else, but you think it's collaboration. Um, you know, having to actually have that be a true factor and kind of how you talked about it really makes, you know, my, not only what I think that our staff should do, but even the sports medicine staff is be able to actually sit down and have some of those meetings like you're having to get to the greater good. Um, you know, because we do have, a, I think we have a staff of probably 14 to 17 people. So there's a lot of people that, you know, we have to get on the same page because again, it's like you said, we're all working to make the end user better. 
And that might be as simple as, you know, once a week getting all 14 of those people in the room together. Yeah. You know, and, and we've had crossover where when we're designing our program, we bring the physical therapist in, you know, so that he hears us talking through it. And, you know, there's another set of eyes that look at it through a totally different lens. And he can sit there and say, well, have you thought about this? Or, you know, we get we get stuff like, hey, these five guys have shoulders. Uh, let's put this exercise in. Or these guys have poor ankle mobility. Let's put these exercises in. And then the conversation goes, well, if those mobility ankle mobility exercises are good for those five, are they not good for all 50? Let's just put them in. But that conversation wouldn't have been had if that physical therapist wasn't in the room. So sometimes it's just literally getting everybody in that room together and not to meet just to meet, but have an agenda. And maybe that meeting's 10 minutes, but having all those people on the, in that room together, I think is good. And if they're of people of, of a good character, you can have those conversations and everybody walks to that room feeling like, yeah, we're all on the same page. But I think so I I run more of the individual side of the house. And so as Willie kind of talked about is we have so many different goals. So and not everybody. So some are, hey, we're getting ready for retirement. I just want to be able to just go through my daily life better to I'm getting ready to deploy again to we've had some that you know, we've all worked with that probably some of the things that we're proudest again, proudest of is they were on deployments, they got injured, they actually were sent home, they never thought they would deploy again, they come to us, we train them, and again, everybody in the whole house, and they're able to go back. So, I mean, those are the success stories that I know I'm proudest of, um, and, and those are the things that we still are trying to message what we do a little bit better. Um, talking with them, not talking at them. Um, and that's especially true for these older grizzled veterans, I guess the best way you can say is that, you know, they uh, talk to them about when you were at your best, when you're ready to do your job, you know, what attributes did you have? And then try to personalize it best we can. Try to convince them to um, – just, you know, hey, stay in this wheelhouse. So, again, they don't always want to train as operators, as I think Justin said. A lot of times this is the fun part of their careers. This is the thing that the Army is not telling them they have to do. So trying to take their own personal interest and cage it in enough so that you're still working the way that as professionals we know we need to go. Um, you know, sometimes it works better than others. Um, we found that, you know, there, if you've ever worked with wrestlers before, there are a lot of like wrestlers are not great athletes. They work super hard. You have to almost pull them back more than push them. Um, so just think about a bunch of wrestlers from the age of 20 something to 50, um, all different ability levels. So it becomes interesting. Um, but for the most part, if you can win them over, they're your best, um, you know, they're going to sell the program. It's just trying to get there is, is difficult at times. Yeah. But that's the art of coaching, you know, sitting there and having those conversations, getting to know them on that personal level. What, what is it that your goals are? I think you said it really good. Like when you were performing at your best, what were some of the things that you were doing and how did you feel? that's where those conversations that's where those people come out of there going man he really wants to help me 
I think that's really what's so important about those conversations and you being able to adapt to those things. And yeah, it's a challenge and no doubt, you know, and your population is so varied, but I think, like you said, having that conversation goes a long way. You know, there's times throughout the year, we'll give them options, you know, Hey, we're going to squat today is our heavy leg day. Here's three different options kind of going along with what you said, the guy is going to pick the one that he wants to do or likes to do the best. And then he's going to do it better because he kind of feels he has some say so and you said the army, this is the one spot part of his life where he's not being told what he has to do. Sometimes giving options within the plan gets the guy to pick the thing he likes to do. And then you learn a little bit about that guy. So the next time you go around, you know what to expect from him. So I think that's, that's, that's awesome. I like hearing that story. I think, uh, Oh, I would say, I think from my perspective, I guess I have the unique perspective on our staff of uh, being the newest guy in this uh, on staff, but in this setting. So uh, it's still kind of weird to me uh, some of the differences and like nuances. Uh, But one of the things that's kind of stood out is, um, so I was, I guess, Buddy Morris is kind of a mentor figure for me. And super, super human being. Oh, absolutely. But it reminds me a lot of what he talked about when he was first starting out, when the professional was first starting out, how you're kind of having to sell uh, strength conditioning as a concept that it should be involved um, in, in that case in college football. Uh, it kind of has that feel where uh, it's like we're in the early eighties as far as the concept of strength conditioning, uh, but armed with the knowledge base of 2020. So it's a weird uh, contrast as far as that goes. Interesting. I, I, you know, those are things you don't think about, but, you know, maybe it's a good thing that we just sell the concept of strength and conditioning anyway as a, a way of life and a, and, and a value system and then let them know that these things not only make you better at your job, but th- those lessons that you're learning are going to make you better husbands, fathers, you know, better people in general. So it- it's not so different now that we have to sell the virtues of strength and conditioning too. Do you have any other questions for us, coach? No, I really, again, I appreciate what you guys do. I just find it fascinating working with that population of, of guys. And I'd imagine it's incredibly rewarding um, working with that, that group of men. So uh, hats off to you. I, I think it's awesome. Uh, really just want to wrap this up. And, you know, obviously when you wrap anything up, you want to thank the person that's here as, as our guest. And I wanted to thank you, uh, wholeheartedly because it means a lot that you're able to just give us that time, the hour of your well, life. Thank you guys us. for even, you know, listening to me ramble. No, thank you. That was awesome. Thank um, you very much. I, I just appreciate the heck out of it. And um, if this is, these are things that was going to make us better. It's going to sharpen the end of that spear. Um, and, and hopefully, um, you know, I'll share the video with you coach so you can look over. Sometimes you pick up things that you've forgotten about. And um, I, I've noticed that when I talk um, and uh, I'll let you have that. And other than that, wish you the best of luck coach during these times. And uh, thanks again for today. Thank you. Thank you. Justin has my contact. Thanks, guys, Justin has my contact. Any of you guys feel free to reach out anytime. Um, anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, coach. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.